Welcome back to another episode of the Under 40 Victims of Fate podcast. Adam and Hank here with you. Hank, how's it going, buddy? Adam, I'm doing great. It's been a fantastic week. I, I had some cold weather in my life last week, which is really a, a tough thing to endure for me. Um, but here I am, came through it, and uh, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, really excited for tonight. You know, I'm not going to spend too much time uh, with us bantering because, goodness gracious, we're so lucky to have Peter Mayer on tonight. Big time. Peter Mayer is here with us tonight, and we are so incredibly lucky and just want to thank him so much. But Peter, thank you for sharing some of your time with us, and welcome to the podcast, Under 40 Victims of Fate. Hank and Adam, it's a, a pleasure to be with you all. And um, for all you people out there, probably many I've met through the years, uh, uh, welcome. And uh, we probably get ourselves into trouble tonight, but it's always more interesting than not. <laughs> so, so we'll just go to it. Go for it. You know, no doubt. I'll say this. Adam, Adam is one of the kindest and uh, nicest men that I know. So uh, he, he should keep us out of trouble. Um, but, you know, Peter, you mentioned all the folks that you've met throughout the years. And what is the funnest and neatest part about that? I suspect it may be the fans, but you may say, no, actually, it's, you know, something else. So what is the neatest part about being a professional musician to you? You know, at this, I'm now entered into the sixth decade of my life. Okay, so I'm in my in my 60s, and uh, I try to eat healthy and stuff, and look look at least a few years younger. But I tell you what, I've learned over all this time is that the best stuff has happened to me through demolition rather than construction. In other words, I came in with a pretty big head, you know, got um, a bunch of time on the guitar practicing, and joined some pretty crappy garage bands high school, college, went, uh, studied music theory and stuff, which was just awesome in St. Louis, taught there for a while and uh, joined a group called PM with my brother and Roger Guth, who also plays with Jimmy, awesome musicians and writer. Lo and behold, we got a record deal. And so pretty magical path, you know, a lot of hard work, but a magical path that, but when I joined up with Jimmy, one of the, the most wonderful things that happened was that he was a seasoned standard performer and we were newbies. And through that process of demolition, kind of my ego front saying, hey, I know what's going on here. I'm going to do that. We kind of had to learn a new way to do it. And my job was to get on stage every night and make Jimmy sound like the best Jimmy Buffett available. And it took me a while to learn to do that, to break some of my old habits, you know. And he was really good about it because he would say, hey, all of you are overqualified for this gig right now. But like it or not, I'm the man in front. And, and, you know, basically telling everybody from backup singer to guitar player to whatever. And I'm so glad that happened in my life, man. I learned probably more doing that than all the scales I practiced. And then take musicians like Mac McAnally and Robert Greenwich and Mike Utley, just consummate musicians, um, not to mention Doyle and Adira and Tina. So the reason I said demolition is I had to kind of be, be deconstructed and learn to listen again. I was a big jazz head for a while. I had learned some simple tunes and what I at first may might have turned my nose up at turned out to be a huge blessing just in how I got to know a different kind of music and stuff. So that was a long answer, but 
that's been really one of the biggest, most gracious uh, gifts to me now. And um, of girls and stuff is, I mean, probably the one that I almost dropped to my knees on was Paul McCartney, you know, when he showed up at the gig and introduced himself to the whole band, was very polite. Um, I have never, ever in my life experienced anything like that. This guy made us all feel like we were 16, 17 years old, ready to, you know, lose our shorts over this music, man. When he, he went into uh, Can't Buy Me Love and Hey Jude, it was just... It was just the most amazing thing. And what was amazing about it, which is why I think every one of you out there loves to hear Jimmy and whoever your favorite musicians are, makes us remember why and how we fell in love with music, with all this. It made me remember why I play guitar and why I worked hard to try to, to learn to do it and, and walk in their footsteps. So anyway, awesome. it's, it's been the Joe Walsh's, Glenn Fry, um, Don Henley's, James Taylor's and all the other people that have walked through um, went Marcellus. I mean, just crazy people we've gotten to meet and uh, it's been a wonderful ride. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm going to ask you a quick follow-up too. I know Adam's going to jump in after this, but you mentioned, um, you know, being around the St. Louis area and stuff, but I know you, you grew up right. A lot of your life in India. Right. And so how has that influenced you musically and um, you know, kind of, yeah, I, I think it shows in your music, right? I, I mean, I think you can hear it and see it. And mm. um, how, how has it influenced you musically, you know, where you grew up and you're from a big family and really cool background. You, you mentioned that you did a lot of jazz. I know you were part of the faculty and taught jazz guitar for a while. So how has mm. that whole thing kind of, especially growing up in India, but, but also your teaching background, how has that influenced you musically? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I think you put your finger on it. It was the diversity of what made, we're all kind of a soup, right? Um, made of our experiences, what our parents passed on to us and uh, what experiences come into our life, what things destroy us, what things make us, all those things. 14, 15 albums that I put out. Here, a lot of variance and diversity, you know, from Christmas music to songs of faith, to rock and roll, to gypsy jazz, or, you know, any of this stuff. Uh, it's just made me love music uh, as a bloom that's got to be in my garden. It's just got to be, be in my life for me to be full. And the other thing about growing up in India that really changed how I approach music, I think, is that we kind of privileged white people, you know, in the middle of a very poor area that my father kind of served as missionary. Okay, so he built churches, this kind of thing. But I had my brothers and sisters, and we had a big family, but really I had a lot of time alone to dream, to wander, to uh, invent, to be curious, you know? And uh, when we got music, we wouldn't just listen once and then go out and play. I mean, we'd listen all day long or fool around making up songs and invent our own games and stuff. And uh, it's not that kids don't do that now, because we do, but it's changed a lot because uh, so much, uh, what do you call it, stimulus here, you know, through electronic means and stuff. Well, back then, I mean, I'm showing my age now, but back then it was really a, a phonograph record player Sure. And we'd have movies come through town, you know, but we'd have to travel like 100 kilometers to the nearest city to see them. So I think that space and that silence really helped me in making sounds to fill that silence. So That's awesome. Very cool. And you got You're going to have to stop me once in a while because I'll keep going. And, and no, uh, listen, but, we'll we'll listen all night, man. You, you yeah. keep rolling. The people listening are here to listen to you, Pete. So <laughs> they hear Adam and I ramble on and on all yeah, the time. Right. And you know, they'll, they'll be happy to hear a different voice. For anybody listening that hasn't been to a show or just 
is completely clueless. Um, to tell you the type of guitar player that Peter actually is, Mac McAnally's won CMA Musician of the Year. Like he won it 10 years in a row. Mm-hmm. And uh, I heard Max say uh, on a podcast or in an interview a few uh, months ago that he's the third best guitarist in his band. So. <laughs> I can tell you this, Peter, um, you can follow us on Twitter under 40 pod. And maybe two weeks ago, somebody, there was another musical account we follow and they asked for the best guitarist of every different kind of genre. And they had jazz and rock and roll and all this stuff. And um, we responded uh, to them and said, it's a clean sweep for Peter Mayer. Aren't we? Number one, everything. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I, I'd have to disagree with you there, but at the same time, we're all, we're all in it, you know, to enjoy and to learn and to get better, you know. And the, the reason I know that is people like Mac, you know, who is just astounding for more reasons than I could, than we've got time to tell you right now. Um, but We'll play him safe, self down. And he's still, to this day, you know, he's still just the other day sent uh, his reefer buddies, me and Eric Dark and Jim and Roger. He sent us like, hey, check out this song. Listen to these changes. You know, we're, we're always, we get on this thing where we challenge each other. Like, have you heard this guitar player? He's amazing. Um, that's been a great thrill to see, to meet people that still are so humble, that are still still wanting to learn, man. That's just, that's the whole thing, you know? There's a funny story about um, Mac though meeting Paul McCartney and he may have, you guys, I don't know if you've interviewed him, but he may tell you this as well if you do. But Jimmy took him to the talk house in, in Long Island, a great, great music club. And Paul was due to show up that night. Okay, so Jimmy's like, Mac, you gotta meet Paul. And I was so mad that I wasn't in that car going up to meet Paul that night. I got <laughs> to meet him later, but anyway, so, oh, Jimmy's playing a set. Okay, so Paul's in the audience. And um, Jimmy gets, you know, so he's doing the Almond Brothers, just crazy stuff he does. And Paul McCartney's just like, whoa, man, you really got it, man. And Max says to him, oh, man, come on. And he goes, no, and Paul goes, no, really, man, you, you got it. You, you are really good. And, and Mac goes, well, Paul, but, but you're the best. And Paul goes, well, well, you're right. But you're really good. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I have to, to send a shout out to my brother. Jim, because really I would not be the guitar player I am, whatever that means these days, without Jim. And what Jim did is that he he picked up bass about the same time I played guitar. But Jim has a mind where he's really good at organizing, like, oh, this is we're at point A. To get to point C, we're gonna have to go B over there and then over to C. Where I was just kind of like, oh, that's a cool chord. That sounds cool. You know, like I, I didn't have that vision where Jim was the organizer. And um, he came in one day, we were up and we slept in the same bedroom when we were kids. And he's playing this stuff on the bass. I'm like, dude, how are you learning this stuff, man? You're getting really good. And I feel like I'm playing the same chord that sounds cool, you know? And Jim goes, Pete, you got to practice, man. You, you got to go t- go take some lessons. Go, go have someone blow the doors off what you know. And thanks to Jim, I started giving up that idea of like, we were all wanted to be George Harrison. I taught myself guitar, my fingers bled <laughs> and you know, but I felt like I saved like 10 years of my, my learning life by going to take some lessons and having someone go, Pete, you're gonna have to learn these scales. You're gonna have to learn this, this, this harmony or, or learn to play that song to be an accomplished guitar player. Yeah. Very cool. So Peter, you are obviously known for ripping those, uh, those solos and just shredding on stage with the Coral Reefer band. But 
something that I've always admired so much, man, is uh, your songwriting ability um, as far as lyrics go as well. Um, can you just kind of tell a little bit about how you, one, got into songwriting and then what it's like writing with such great songwriters like Roger and Mac and Jimmy? Yeah. Um, well, Adam, you know, from the beginning, when my brother and I, like I said, stayed in the same bedroom because uh, we had a big family in Crested, Missouri, a little town uh, in St. Louis. And we'd listen to the Beatles, we'd listen to, to the Doors, whatever, you know, all on the phonograph. And, and I found myself wanting so bad to be that and that I was starting to write on little notes, you know, really, really bad poetry, you know, like little love songs or something. And I was you know, about 10, 11 years old. You know, my mother found one of the notes once. So she's like, did you write this? You know, because Anna is like, I will love you forever. And you are, the, you know what I mean? It's like, dude, what have you been doing in your off time? You yeah. know, like, Everything okay? <laughs> yeah. To answer your question, it kind of happened automatically. I really, I've always loved to read. I've been a little bit slow learner with that, but I've really loved language. And um, I was always curious about what words meant. So I'd go and look in a dictionary. And uh, I love how words sound. And I think that led me to the songwriting in life. And, um, you know, everybody starts out, or at least most people, or at least me, started out so awful that the love of the art rule over your ego at that point. In other words, I had to let go of the fact that I just sucked at first. And I kept listening to Eleanor Rigby or, um, you know, your song or, um, you know, whatever, the Sting, Peter Gabriel, anything. And I was just amazed by that stuff. Um, but I was foolish enough to believe that I, uh, in fact, I remember the very day that I talked to Jim and Roger about this, we were, yeah, they're the rest of the group PM. We were in Key West writing a song. And I said, man, we're not going to leave this room until we've, we've got stuff of the caliber that, that is on the Sting album we were listening to. And they're like, oh, come on, man. Don't, don't even go there. I said, no, wait a minute. You know, do you really believe we can do this? And, and I said, I do. And I'm probably a fool for saying that. I'm not saying I'm better than Sting or anything like that. But what I'm saying is it's in there. And it's our job to go digging right now. Um, oh, that's great. And so... With, with writers like Mac and Jimmy, I've, I've had the extreme honor to write with both of them. And what amazes me about them, and it, it comes down to one afternoon in the Big Pink down in Key West when we were working on Banana Wind, and we were working on um, to make a mistake uh, in, in Desdemona's building a rocket ship, you know. And this guy is so quick and so smart. He had a big um, thesaurus there of words. He had a big uh, Roger's um, quotations, you know, so he looked through it at famous people's quotations. And in 15 minutes, he had this awesome verse to the song. I'm like, how do you do this? So I realized at that point, he's, he's got, really got a gift for that. Mac is the same way. It's just kind of spin. It seems to spin off the top of his head where, um, to be honest with you, I spent a lot of time. I'm working on a song just today that, that I'm writing that is just kicking my butt. But I believe that if you make yourself available to it long enough and you're willing to be humble enough to listen for it, eventually it's going to fill that, that frame. I got the music, I've got the melody. So that's the way I work. I'm usually guaranteed the fact that I can believe in what I'm saying when I finally sing it. So it's worth so, it to me. So I'll, I'll ask when, when, you're writing, right? You mentioned being able to write with Jimmy and Max sometimes. When you're writing, if you're writing something for 
you know, let's say you're writing something for yourself, right? Or Peter Mayer Music Group. Does it, do you write differently for yourself versus when you are writing with someone else for someone else? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a very good question. And, and, and to me, it's a very meaningful question because when, you know, the song Susanna When the Sun Goes Down was really written for Jimmy and we wrote it with the intent purpose of writing a song for Jimmy Buffett. And it may not have been a great Jimmy Buffett song. And, and at the time that he heard it, uh, it was actually in the queue on fruitcakes to go in the, in the lineup. All right. But when he heard it, he was kind of like, you know, Petey, that sounds a little like someone trying to write like Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe right. But I, I, you know, I like the melody and I, you know, it's, but, and so it got pushed aside for Apocalypso, which is a great Matt Benton song. But the amazing thing about that is that it became part of our repertoire, you know, and people really found some, some resonance there with that. Um, uh, so same thing with, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Green Eyed Radio songs, um, Send Me to Love, okay, so a love song. But that was written for Winona Judd, you know, and she never ended up doing it, but we, we, we were like, okay, we're gonna write a song and we meant every word of that song, but um, <laughs> the original intent was not what it turned out to be. Right. But the beautiful thing is, and this happens a lot with Mac and Jimmy and, and Roger and all those great writers, Will Kimbrough, is that what you write, there's a part of it or a portion or all of it that you can own, that you just take on for yourself. So uh, it makes you a better writer. It stretches you into different personalities. Yep. Yeah. And shout out to Apocalypse. currently on my top 10 Jimmy Buffett list right now. Yeah. That's a cool song. Very Matt, good. Matt Benton just writes really cool songs. Another one, uh, a favorite is Schoolboy Heart, man. The, the yeah. point in it that he just writes the coolest changes. I mean, the... Need to focus now on the roads, but something like a Swiss on That's my life. Wild change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jimmy can sing the lyrics, but <laughs> yeah, right. he writes great changes and great, great songs. Pretty sure Matt also wrote If It All Falls Down, right? Thank you. Yeah, did. I think you're right. Thank you, did. So I'm going to ask you about a few specific songs, if that's okay. Um, yeah. People that have listened to this podcast know I'm obsessed with Brahmer Soup. It's my all-time favorite album. Mm. Um, the title track, absolutely adore it. I think it... It's one of those rare, well, it's not rare for Jimmy to do, but they have that feel-good melody, but they say so much, right? Uh, go fast enough to get there, but slow enough to see. Moderation seems to be the key, all sorts of yeah. stuff like that. What do you remember about, we'll start with that one. What do you remember about writing that song? Well, that was one that he came in. I, I still remember him sitting on, we had, we had a little room that we took up in what was called the fish camp there in Key West. It was a little island house right next to Jimmy's house, which was decorated a little nicer. Okay, so let's just say this was a pretty bare bones, but it was a really cool, we called it the fish camp. So Jay Oliver had his big keyboard set up there. Um, I would sit behind a table with my acoustic guitar. Roger was over there with a little notebook for writing, Russ Conkle. And Jimmy came in on that day and we played him what we had recorded and, and played so far. But with Barometer Soup, I remember he, he really brought that in with the lyrics pretty much there. So in other words, guys, when it came to lyrics, it was Jimmy's world. He, he had to 
he buffetize it, he calls it. So sure. we helped him write the bridge and stuff like that. But I'll tell you something, man, the lyrics to that song just blow me away. And they, may, they, they become even more meaningful to me because we joined with Jimmy when we all see him up on stage, right? Barefoot and having a great time, but he's a human being. He goes through his trials, okay? Everybody does, or you really don't have a life. And he was he was going through his own, through changes. And yep. though he never let on, well, you know, this is rough, or, or at least I, I never saw it. I can hear it in his songs. You know, Fruit, Fruitcakes is the same way. You know, him talking about the world's situation in a very whimsical way instead of, let me preach at you for a while, you know? It's really a wonderful thing. I, another one of my favorites is Barefoot Children for that reason. We do that song... Uh, Brendan and I a lot because it, what it means to me is the very soul of Jimmy and what it's about. And he's, he touches a chord in all of us, you know, for that child inside. Um, so barometer soup is amazing. Yeah. It's, and yet it's that G chord, you know, <laughs> one of the first things Jimmy said when we walked into New York, when we recorded off to see the lizard, you know, so this is my new band. And I was kind of like, who's this guy, man? I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know I joined the band, you know, we we're just playing the session. <laughs> now right and like okay we're a group you know and he i remember as it came out of his mouth i had never heard it before but he goes okay this is in uh this in, in this is in the people's key this is in the key of g you know so barometer <laughs> soup key of g that's too funny man I, i'll tell you this i have uh i've got lyrics in my head when people challenge me about jimmy buffett and they go oh he just sings margaritaville or cheeseburger in paradise uh, one of the lyrics I respond with, there is a lot. Color of the sun has a couple, breathe in, breathe out, move on. I mean, there's a, a, a ton of them, right? Um, sometimes mm -hmm. if, if I'm an adjunct professor too, so I love to, like a room full of people who listen to me talk is like my dream come true. And as it would happen, I have my own podcast. So here we are. So, but I will say <laughs> yeah. um, uh, the line in Fruitcakes, we spent half a billion dollars trying to get a look at Mars. I hear universal laughter ringing out amongst the stars. I tell people that line all the time. And I say, if I had if I had five lines to describe Jimmy Buffett to you, just listen to that, that line and what it means yeah. during that time. It was incredible writing. It really yeah. is, man. It really is. And uh, what amazes me is that I will speak for myself that, that I didn't realize the scope of that until later, you know, and that's one of the gifts of this whole thing. I, I think that there was a reason, God knows what, that we got together with Jimmy and, and did all this, but we didn't come in going, Jimmy Buffett, you're the great, I know every single song, you know, and he took that on trust and, and took us in like the band and like the way it felt. He wants to stay curious. And I think uh, he keeps everybody around him doing that as well. Hank brought up color of the sun and that's, gosh, I think it's one of the most underrated Buffett songs that and, and remittance, man, you had a part in writing. I love that. I love that song. Um, Color of the sun, uh, sand dunes gone, snatched by a storm. You know, the best of times can still somehow be found. Um, and then I, kind of a double question. Um, I just am curious, you know, was it similar, a similar process in that Jimmy wrote most of the lyrics on both of those songs um, and you guys were helping just mostly musically or um, kind of what was the process behind that? First of all, in Barometer Soup, it was really unusual because what he said in Aspen to us that night when he asked us to write with him was, here's a list of books I'm going to send you. I want you to read all of them and then come up with song ideas, you know. And then, of course, he was doing the same thing. So we'd get a note midweek, you know, and we'd read 
Dickens, I mean, excuse me, Mark Twain's story and, and kind of tell that, tell that story. But in Color of the Sun, that was written with Roger. And um, I came up with that title and knew immediately, I, I told Roger, I said, Jimmy's gonna do this song. I said, because first of all, we, we didn't know a note of it, okay? I may have had that. Let's see how I got around around plays. Touching down, high white crown, balances dreams he has chosen. I, you know, we started writing this and I thought, Raj, Jimmy's going to do this song. I just, I know it. It's a matter of him making it his own. And sure enough, that last verse that you quoted, man, of Hurricane Sandy, I couldn't believe it, man. It brought tears to my eyes. And um, same. Even worst of beaches never let you down. For all this, let's see, for all the pleasures, yeah, there's nothing lost, nothing left to measure, just you and me in the color of the sun. Color of the sun. Anyway, uh, that it's last amazing, man. killed me. And, uh, I wish I had had a little time to practice that before, but uh, just a, an amazing mixture. So we got together with, with Jimmy in, what was it, Palm Beach, West Palm Beach. And uh, this was a day when we were helping to write, let's see, what was it, um, Songs from St. Somewhere? Yep, that's right. Right. And Jimmy just had a slew of cool songs, the Russians, you know, and all this stuff. And, and we just said, hey, Hey, Jimmy, we got something because we had played a little bit for Mac and Will Kimbrough. And with that kind of writing team, you're kind of, you're ready to blast off, you know, and yeah. I, we played it for Jimmy and he's just like, oh, you know, send, send me that, send me that. I, I got some ideas. And so he would disappear and then showed up with that verse, you know, and, and all the good stuff, you know. And, and I'll be honest with you, man, this is the full disclosure. Like, even the worst of beaches will never let you down. Like, that's an amazing line, but at the time I was like, really? I mean, I don't know how that's gonna sound in this song. It sounded a little too out of place, but it was just the perfect line, you know? So, it's perfect. but Jimmy, you best get out of the way and just let it happen, you know? I'm, I'm sure Jimmy, with how much he loves Fred Neal, he threw in that line, that red sky night, that Fred Neal feel. Oh. That, uh, yeah. Little stuff yeah. like that, man, is just, that's what takes yeah. He and his writing crew, which obviously includes you from, you know, from here to there. So, so uh, it's true. It's true. And, and um, we were having dinner, my little puppies here next to my son. I'm gonna have to take her up real <laughs> soon. But, um, but we were sitting at the table and I just, you know, we were just getting into Jimmy's world and had played a few shows out in California. And I was like, who are these people? They're dressed up and it's crazy out there. And he's, I said, Jimmy, Tell me about this. How did how did you do it? He goes, well, Petey, he goes, I'm not a, I'm not a great singer. He goes, I'm not a great, great guitar player. He goes, but I'm a damn good Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> you know, and he was basically like, look, I got a world that somehow built around me and that I made and I trust myself with it. And I trust my my take on the world and people. And it's not the only one, but I trust what I do. And I'm going to deliver it with a sense of humor. And I tell you, it, it touches people's hearts. And um 
it works. You know? So you're, you're talking about touring now and a couple quick questions about that one. What do you have a favorite tour memory? Um, if you think back, boy, you've been getting after it for a little while now. Uh, but do you have a favorite tour memory? Um, just maybe a night the crowd was, I'm sure there are quite a few you can't share, but maybe some that like, yeah. boy, you know, the night, yeah. was, the crowd was awesome, or I had a great time at this show, or maybe a favorite venue that you love to play. Oh man, so many from Europe, you know, to play in Dublin for the first time two years ago. And I mean, just unbelievable London, but th there was some, you know, in the early, early days, you know, we can't hold a candle to, what some of the British bands did in the seventies. I mean, just crazy wild, you know, and I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a lightweight with that. I'm not going to compete with anybody on that level, but we had our stupid moments and we used to, to do buses a lot in the early days, you know, tour buses from town to town, pretty much right away, get on the bus and on the bus, there was always some beer to drink, whatever you drink, or you're drinking, there's some food to eat and we'd head on to the next town. And then when it got late enough, which could be anywhere from 11, midnight to four in the morning, you know, you'd hit the bunks. Well, the band was in a couple different buses and they would kind of wagon train together to the next town. And uh, so we started doing something called bus theater, which was, you'd kind of make some kind of wild scene, turn the lights down low and then open the curtain and the other bus would pull aside and you'd kind of have the scene going. <laughs> nice. And well, suffice it to say that some of the more veteran members of the group got wilder than some of the young members. And, sure. Um, it got to the point where we had to kind of call the, okay, man, this is getting a little, some, some uh, you know, Mountie's going to stop us. <laughs> you know, and I uh, wonder what the heck we're doing. But it's a fond memory because it was just one of those bits of pure fun we had in the early days when, when touring was absolutely new. It was like, you know, we were out of the uh, the minor leagues into the you know in a major league ballpark, so it was pretty amazing. A couple fun fun times, you know, in Texas, uh, I think it was Dallas that uh, you know Jimmy would get wild too, and in once in a while, and he had friends that would come out on tour uh, once in a while to catch a show or two, like Ed Podolak, and we were in a bar at a, at a hotel in Dallas, and there was a shuffleboard table, and these you know looked kind of like oil execs were playing shuffleboard and their wives were sitting there and you know we're kind of like oh man this is jimmy walked in and they obviously had been having fun most of the night already you know and this was close to midnight and jimmy kind of looks over he goes well play you for your women <laughs> so in other words he's challenging these guys to a game of shuffleboard he goes well play you for your women i'm like oh lord this is gonna i hope he's got security guards oh, no. so at one point they they just were terrible. I mean, they lost badly. But at one point, Jimmy hoists himself up on the shuffleboard table and pulls himself down through the sawdust. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crazy stuff. Um, that sounds awesome. That sounds like a ton of fun. So, <laughs> so when you guys, uh, you're, you're obviously on stage, right? And you're with a bunch of musicians you know, and you know pretty yeah. well. Um, but going back to the early days, obviously how you know, by the way, Peter, you are now, no pressure, you are now responsible for getting Jim onto the show eventually. So we're going to lean on you for that. All um, right. You know, sure. so we're, we're going to email him and tell him we're old friends. Same with Roger. Um, but, you, you know, how, how did you, obviously, obvious how you know Jim, but how did you meet Roger? You guys, it's so funny to watch you on stage because, like I said, several podcast episodes ago, it just seems like uh, you and your brother just, 
when you watch you on stage, it looks like you guys just feel like you got away with the heist of a lifetime and, and you still can't believe you got away with it. Right. Even after 30 years uh, of touring, you look like you still have the most fun. Roger, I'm sure has a ball, but he is Mr. Stoic up there. Yeah. I mean, he's stone faced. So how'd you, how'd you guys originally meet him? Uh, it was in St. Louis, Missouri. And there, we lived close to a, a community college called Merrimack community college. And when we got of age, and, and of age meant too young to go to college, but they would open up the community band for people to audition. So if you were outgoing, if you had some stuff going on and were practicing already, you could go audition for this band. Well, and it, it may have been, you should ask Jim about this as well, but it may have been that they had a summer session too for younger players. Okay, so, because I think Jim was 15, Rod 16, maybe 16, 17. So they got to know each other there they were a lot better than I was in terms of they really were studying the jazz language. And Raj was like, always been very enterprising guy. It was like, Hey man, you sound good. We should get together and play. Well, they did. And uh, Jim was just a real kind of prodigy. He was playing nightclubs all over town when he was 15 or 16. I mean, it was crazy. So eventually Jim said, Hey man, this Raj guy is really good. You should, you should come play with us. And which we did. And uh, it was, we were fast friends, man. We, we formed a really tight union and, and that's when Raj said, hey man, we gotta do something together. This is just too good. And the, the one thing that we had was a chemistry that wouldn't quit. I mean, we just, there wasn't ever a time that we got together. I mean, we, we fought, we had down days and this and that disappointments, but there wasn't ever a time that something didn't spark. Some magic didn't happen between us. And uh, it's a real testament to Jim and Raj. And the other thing I'll say is, to anybody out there who's starting a group or looking a way to find their way through the industry, work with people that challenge you. Don't work with people that say you're the greatest or, or that they just suck up to you. Jim and Raj both had talents, but they'd be honest with me when something wasn't happening. You know? And the three of us did, we kind of handled different parts of the aircraft. So Raj was really good at common sense and business. Jim was fantastic at tech, his playing, of course, and songwriting, of course, but Really, that tech aspect helped us produce all our early demos when we didn't have to go pay some engineer to do that. And then I was the guitar player, singer, guy working on songs, too. So we each kind of took care of our own little section. It made one aircraft that could get off the ground. So We'll share some of our favorite songs for the week, right? We always tell our listeners that our favorite Jimmy Buffett songs kind of evolve it uh, depends on when you catch us. And so Adam and I may share a couple of songs after you, Peter, but... I'll tell you, I have a friend who just this week, I have been espousing the virtues of Jimmy Buffett too. And he finally is getting on board, right? And he's like, hey, I'm a, I'm a Tom Petty fan. I'm an Eagles fan. And I'm like, you know what? I'm about to talk to a guy who's played music with all of them. So let me ask him this question. Do you have three or four Jimmy Buffett songs you would recommend to him to listen to if he's first getting into Jimmy Buffett? Oh man, there's so many. Um, well, I mean, of course... You know, you gotta, you gotta do pirate. You gotta, um, it's just the essence of Jimmy, man. Just capturing something very, very simple. I'm trying to think here, man, you know, so many good ones. Um, I, I would go also, you guys are on it as well, but the Barometer Soup album's got some incredible, um, Barefoot Children. I mean, that's, that's one that I just think captures Jimmy's essence. You know, I mean, Margaritaville, it's an amazing song and it's just been so played that people take it for granted, you know, but that's, that's an incredible song. Golly. Yeah. I'm trying to, trying to think. Death of an Unpopular Poet, you know. Oof, nice. Really, 
really amazing. And, you know, The Night I Painted the Sky, I, I think it's just one of his beautiful songs. And it's not just because I got to help write that with him, <laughs> but it's just really, really touching. Yeah, those are some of my favorites. Um, you know, and, and ironically enough, man, some of the, like Trip Around the Sun, I, I think that's a killer song. Now, Jimmy didn't write that necessarily, but he does a killer job of it. And uh, I love playing that song with him on stage. It's just really, really inspiring. You want to give us a little bit of uh, Night I Painted the Sky? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's see if I can. Uh... So this is, by the way, people out there can't see it, right? This is just a podcast, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. okay. But this but is the we can see of... it. <laughs> yeah, you can see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is the guitar that I play on stage with Jimmy. And, and about oh. um, five years ago, maybe four years ago, we were at Wrigley Field, and it was a wicked hot day. I was and, there? Yeah. These things had been kept in the truck. And so hot, the bridge actually pulled up on the side to use a different guitar on it. But this is... Um, the guitar that I used, it got repaired by a wonderful luthier at St. Louis called Joan Lindner. Um, and this is the guitar I used on his most recent, um, the, the songs you don't know by heart. Isn't that right? Yep, is that what it's right. called? Yeah, yep. this, is the, this is the guitar I used on that one. So this is Night of Painted Sky. Awesome, man. Thank you. It's, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to dust off a little bit of cobwebs. You know, play the next tour, though. <laughs> right. Well, we played these songs in a while. There's uh, Peter. That was so incredible, man. Thank you so much. There's uh, this yearning, I think, for live music amongst so many of us. So to even get to watch you play here, you know, we're not live, but to watch you do it, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sitting you with you, you know, but. Um, to watch you do it. it's incredible but you're actually touring a little bit now right you've got some shows coming up and some 
socially distanced stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, we are playing a run in May and I tell you what, man, we, it was a hard decision to make, you know, cause you want to be right by your neighbors and everybody's safe, but we decided to go ahead and take the chance in May of free of this thing. And so we all got vaccinated and we're going out in early May. And the first gig we play is going to be the horse pens 40 in Alabama there and uh, can't wait to do this. Um, there's, I think, six dates. Uh, one in Alabama, one in St. Louis, one in Indianapolis. Uh, let's see, uh, let's see, Kentucky, uh, mm-hmm. Southern Kentucky, or Northern Kentucky, close to Ohio. And then in Columbus, we're playing Natalie's. So we got a string of dates in Nashville. Right. Home yeah. sweet home. Base, basement East, yeah. So um, fans, friends out there, man, if you are game to travel, we are game to play. We're we're doing, oh, and the pageant in St. Louis, which okay. is a fantastic venue. Go um, cards. What's that? Go cards. Yeah, I go in, cards. I live, in, I live in North Carolina, but I'm a huge St. Louis Cardinal fan. Man, I love it. Well, then you and Brendan had a bunch to talk about. Man, he's the sports dude in the family, I tell yeah, you. Yeah, we, we talked for probably three or four but, uh, minutes. Friends out it. there. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah, man. Well, did he tell you the story of Mark McGuire? Yes, he, did. he, did. he actually did. Yeah great story sitting there in the stands and he's just like dad there's too many people i said stick your glove out there and he's <laughs> literally couldn't even see the, the glove he puts his arm through it mark takes the glove of it out of his hands and signs it <laughs> so awesome. he had the luck of the draw with that but, uh, very but cool. i just want to I call out to fans out there if you feel the uh, the urge to travel like i sure do please come out and hear us play uh, the pmg the peter mayor group has never sounded better Brendan's going to be there doing some of his songs. I'm going to play Chris Walters, Zeb and Miles, a killer rhythm section. So we look forward to that. It's coming up in May. Yeah, and a lot of those folks are on the pandemic music gatherings that we got to enjoy virtually as well, man. So yeah. thank, thank you yeah. guys for that. That's been incredible. That's oh, been a ton of fun. You're welcome. That was that was a lot of fun. It took a long time to get that to, to, the, to the viewing screen, but it was uh, worth every... Boy, I was blown away by it. Brendan's ramble on, man. He just hit that hard and it was rocking. Yeah, absolutely. He was. Cool. Well, Adam, do you have a few, uh, you have your four for this week? Yeah, I did. I had Color of the Sun down and I found myself listening to that yeah. song so often during the pandemic, you know, and there's been some low points over the last year, right? There's been a lot of social, political unrest, all that, but that line, you know, the best of times mm-hmm. can still somehow be found. Sure gives me a great yeah. deal gives me a great deal of hope that it really song. does man that, that um i can do one verse of that I, in what you can do is just call out the lyrics if i get them wrong so <laughs> oh, i'll do it i definitely know them <laughs> let's see i think i do that capo that um let's see touching down clouds Balances dreams he has chosen. Northern lights around him now. Melting cream is frozen. Bicycles chain need of adjusting. Red sky night that Fred Neil feel. When the world wasn't busted, the best of times can still somehow. That's the last one, isn't it? 
What is the first one? It's, um, yeah, the first one. Mm-hmm. The working tide. The working tide will come around again. Here we go. The working tide will come around again. The sailing is waiting in the wind. In the wind. For all your world and treasures. For all your world and treasures. Nothing left to measure. Just you and me and the color of the sun. Yeah, man, that's, I'm going to have to go over that song again. That's, that's one of my favorites. Excellent. Man, it's beautiful. It's such a beautiful song. Another one that I put for this week, Hank, um, it's actually a John Prine cover that Jimmy does from time to time, Paradise. Oh, and, yeah. and unfortunately, we lost John mm. Prine um, last year, but that song feels so much like springtime to me. You know, it just feels like mm. the weather around us right now is getting a little warmer. I love the Empty way it is. Yeah, empty pop bottles is all we would kill. You know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and then uh, In the Shelter, man. I've, for whatever reason, been vibing with In the Shelter lately. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that story uh, that that song tells. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a sleeper, man. But it's always, it's got a, such a great groove to it, man. Just um, it does. Double release, I think. High Cumberland Jubilee, first time that mm-hmm. one came out. It was recorded three times, actually. Okay, man. three they, times. They did, it on, they did it on High Cumberland Changes and then a, another version on uh, Meet Me in Margaritaville. Meet Me in Margaritaville. Oh, okay. okay yeah. right. So Peter Adam is our resident Jimmy Buffett. As much So I've been a Parrothead much longer, a big Jimmy Buffett fan, much longer than Adam has, but he has lapped the field. Uh, he is caught up, man, and he just is incredible with that stuff. So, yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, deep cuts, and um, that, that's been one of the biggest pleasures. Is um, Jimmy likes to keep revolving the whole uh, lazy Susan of songs he's got around. So we got <laughs> we got to know a lot of songs. And so that's we're, right. We're sometimes doing quick studies back in the back room, you know, because he'll call them like right before the show, you know. So that's, that's cool. Wild. Yeah, I know one one y'all have been playing. Like, yeah, West, West Nashville. Oh yeah, that, that you know. Was it the last tour we were on that he he called that? I'm, I'm trying to remember when when we played that, but I had never played that song with him before. But a lot of people had talked about it. So. Yeah. Was it two? Two tours yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, and my last oh, one, man, man. I, I brought up earlier, Remittance, man. It's just, you know, that's been, oh, on, yeah. it's been on my weekly favorite so many times, yeah. but I'm, I'm <laughs> obsessed with it. It's that and Color of the Sun, I think, like if two people were going to say what are Buffett's most underrated songs, those would be probably yeah. the first two I'd throw out. Yeah, he, they're deep, man. They're um, I think a lot of people know Jimmy through their good times, which is fantastic. But when you listen in, man, he, he covers the whole gamut. You know, yep. this is life, and this is the drama of life. This is the comedy of life. You know, but it's uh, you wouldn't have any comedy without the tragedy too. You know, because no, no. it's what you make of the tragedy that that keeps it enjoyable, you know, and um, well, I thought maybe I'd play you a little bit of um, the song that Jimmy refused. Maybe something will do it, but a little bit of Susanna. (laughs) Do it. Perfect. This is a great song, man. It's better in tune. The ocean brings me stories Fills my sails with tales for free 
Practical schemes are tying up my dreams. It's time to unwind in the low country now. Sitting man comes to the island. Island man goes to the sea. It's music to my eyes in the western skies. When the medicine man go up, let's go down. The heart and soul of this island child. So come on down, the best show in town. Oh, Susanna, when the sun goes down. I sing, oh, Susanna, when the sun goes down. Do, do, do. But it's so easy to get poisoned by the avenue. This potion's gonna heal me for sure. But all that medicine's gone to my head again. I think I forgot what I was trying to cure. I got my six string music box. Take it from the corner and play. I'll set my eyes out on the horizon. Check my heart and send away. Let's go on. Go down by the heart and soul of this island town. Honey, you got to see the best show in town. Oh, Susanna, when the sun goes down. Ow! <laughs> oh, come on now. La, 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 la. Woo! Oh, Oh, it's my destiny. Caught between heaven and the under 40 victims of fame. All right. Dude, that is sick. <laughs> So good. Such a good song. Ripping it up. <laughs> incredible, guys. Oh, man. So absolutely if you, incredible. If you contact, uh, if you contact um, Jim, you know, I'll tell him, I tell him you guys are all right. And you're not going to chew him to death, you know, with hard questions and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we're not going to ask for a lock of his hair or anything crazy like that, man. We just want to chat for an hour, you know? <laughs> Easy yeah, to deal with. Oh, man. Peter, we cannot yeah. thank you enough, man. We really can't. Adam, Hank, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. And um, I want to I want to send a, a note of thank you to all your fans as well, people who have followed Jimmy all these years, but are gracious enough to extend their, their goodwill to his band, to us. Um, it's been a, just one of the joys of my lifetime touring with this, this band and getting to know some of the friends, really good thing. And we have you to thank for that. So all good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Peter. And uh uh, once again, we'll be we'll be on maybe soon. We'll be in touch with uh, uh, a few more of the coral reefers. But Peter, can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, check yeah. out the pandemic music gatherings. Check out Peter Mayor Group's music. Uh, the show's coming up. A uh, lot to lot to go on in, in the music world in the coming months with, in regards to Peter Mayer. So Peter, yeah. thanks again. Uh, this is Hank and Adam. Well, I was just going to say, you know, if um, you guys know know how to use the internet and Google and whatever, but PeterMayor.com has information. I want to thank uh, Hank and Adam too for all the support. Man, keep keep on listening. 
you know more of the Jimmy songs than I do, so I'm gonna have to go and do my studying. <laughs> yeah, I just I just can't play them like you can, or you know, I'd I'd be <laughs> I'd be making a lot more than a high school teacher. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you again, Peter. Man, we we thanks, truly man. can't say thanks enough. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. This has been the under forty victims of fate, and we'll see you guys next time. Vin's up.